Hello and welcome back to a uh, long overdue episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Willemore and joining me this week is Dan Lambert. Dan, welcome back. Thank you. Um, a, pre- a pretty eventful period for QPR since the last time we managed to put out a podcast. Um, we'll touch on quite a lot of that later on. But first, there's only one place to start, and obviously that's unfortunately the sad news of the passing of possibly the greatest QPR player ever in Stan Bowles. You know, our, we're pretty late to the game in getting this out, so I'm sure you've heard many, many tributes to him already, but it would be it would not be proper if we were not to mention the great effect and the great legacy that he left at the club. Um, I guess, you know, we'd, we'd knew, known for a while, Dan, unfortunately, that he was, uh, he had such an awful illness and it's, you know, absolutely horrific to hear that he's actually, he's gone and he's not no longer with us. Yeah. I think it got, it got announced just shortly after the, uh, the game on Saturday. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was it was obviously sad news. Obviously, he's a, a legend of the club. Um, you know, a very good player as well. He's described as a maverick. I think he had five caps for England. England, if I'm correct. Um, so yeah, so he had a great pedigree, kind of on and off the pitch, and um, yeah, as well as being associated with the club as well. I think. Well, not. Yeah, I say I think the number ten kind of legacy. I know it goes slightly further back than him and includes sort of like Rodney Marsh as well. But I th- when you think of kind of like QPR number 10s, in terms of what I was brought up with as a young QPR fan, Stan Bowles was that sort of number 10 to aspire to. And everyone that kind of wears the shirt after that, whether you're, you know, Eze or Tarat or whoever it is, you know, wears it with the fact that he is the sort of benchmark for what what you need to be to be a QPR number 10. Uh, and for people outside the club, that might not mean a lot. But to us, that number 10 shirt means so much because of that. And I think it says a lot that people of our age, even though we were never close to seeing him play a single minute of football life, we've seen the videos. We know how good he was in on terrible pitches with a, a very relaxed, let's say, uh, attitude to I guess playing the game of football and that word maverick sums him up so perfectly I was lucky enough to meet him once outside of Loftus Road it was very early to a game one day I think uh, me and my dad remember this correctly we were playing Nottingham Forest and he was just walking to the ground with um, someone I'm not quite sure who but he was sort of like you know giving them a bit of a tour of the area and stuff like that. I mean, my dad was pretty keen to go up to speak to him. uh, And (laughs) very excitedly, we we kind of like ran over in a sense to catch up with Stan. I shook his hand and at the time I had a poster of him on the wall. And I hope he kind of understood, you know, I was in absolute awe of him. Having, even though I'd never seen a minute of him play football live, 
like I said, I'd seen the videos. I knew what he meant to so many QPR fans. And just being there, having a word with him to shake his hand was a complete privilege. Um, and it is so sad that he is gone. I think my dad asked him at the time, because it was around the time that Tarrat was playing for us. And I, th- I have the feeling, you know, it would have been, let's say, not playing Nottingham Forest, it would have been that season when we were probably winning the league at that point. And I think my dad asked him about what he thought of a Delta rap. And I don't know. I can't really remember what he said, but listening to the interviews and in the tributes that have been very uh, frequent over the last couple of days, I'm sure he would have said that he was better than Tarrat. <laughs> Cause he seemed to have that. He, he had that cheekiness to him. He had that, he had his vices and whatnot, but he was a fantastic footballer and it was that cheekiness. I'm sure that, one in one in many many fans at QPR. So it'll be an emotional game next week when we come to play West Brom, uh, and we pay tribute to him. Uh, but I, like the club said, arguably the greatest QPR player of all time, and it's it's devastating to see him gone. Regardless of that, QPR do sort of play on, and we got a win last weekend, Dan, a very important win in the end. Yeah, yeah, out of the relegation zone for now. So, um, for the first time since October, so a bit of uh, a bit of optimism. I mean, the season's far from over. We've still got, I think, about 11, 10, 12 games to go, I want to say. Um, but yeah, no, a good win. Um, nervy at the probably at the start, but um, it's not really keeping it's not that first seven minutes was um, an absolute disaster. It, you know, yeah. if that was against a better team, you could have quite easily been 2 0 down. It weren't, it weren't even the fact that Rotherham were sort of putting massive amount of pressure on us. We were playing into their hands and just like kind of slowly capitulating. You couldn't string a pass together, that, you know, let alone try and pass out from the goalkeeper. It, you know, it got to the midfield and we couldn't, we, we just, we were all over the place. Yeah, there, there were, um, three pretty good big chances in the first first few minutes well two before the goal there was the one where the keeper plays one over the top it's kind of bypassed our entire midfield it's like 4v5 something like that and then we don't really win this first and second balls and there's that ball that gets played across the box you've got the one playing out from the back with um i think begovic misses hayden but they somehow managed to slash it out of play um i could see what they were doing but it just wasn't working the solutions weren't working and um yeah, then the goal, I mean, I'm sure we'll go into a bit more detail, but yeah, kind of, it was an interesting um, interesting sequence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, the, the team actually, well, did it include, no, it didn't, it, Anderson was on the bench, so it didn't include all four of our um, new signings. I don't know if we've done a podcast since the end of January. I feel like we might not have. I can't quite remember, but um, so far, have you been impressed? I guess Holden and Hodge have probably got the most minutes out of the four signings. But um, who, who really, who stands out for you so far? Um, I think I've watched majority of the games since they've played. So I, I mean, Hodge, Hodge is the one that kind of initially, um, not to be my surprise is the wrong word, kind of impressed me. Um, Anderson, I thought away at Bristol City was very good. 
so he kind of has that that understanding with Willock and Cher. Um and obviously he's played for Sequentes before, so he kind of knows what what's expected of him. So that was kind of a natural inclusion. Hayden's been pretty solid in fairness. And then um Frey's scored I want to say one goal as he scores it at Norwich. Yeah, very much like the poachers finish in the box. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's made an impact here and there off the bench and he started against uh, Rotherham. So I don't think they've been bad signings at all, to be honest to you. Um yeah, I think each of them have probably had their their standout games, but um yeah, they've certainly made an impact and they've come into the starting of the eleven and we're actually in decent form right now, apart from obviously the Stoke game, which was a, a pretty pretty bad anomaly, I'd say. So performance wise. So yeah, it's been it's been a positive impact, I'd say. Yeah, let's talk about that goal then that we conceded so early on. I've been trying to pass out from the back quite a few times. I think do, do we like get pre- pressed into sort of we we take a throw in or something like that but then we yeah we take we take the throw in and it goes yeah. to cold back it's we yeah. take it short i think there's question yeah. marks but we don't we should go down the line because at that point rather than a man for man and it's a bit it's a bit risky as it is in that deep in your own box or a half and then he flicks one onto powell who flicks one onto chair and chair completely mistimes the first I can see time what he's doing, but he slices the top yeah yeah and then um, that's Cook that misses the he loses yeah, he the loses, contest in the air and then yeah, it's he loses it. it to Nombe and then um, Clark sort has got to get, get across earlier if that's the case because um, Eves Eves gets away too easily but yeah it's it's kind of like a knock on effect I just think at that point you go down the line and you you try and get in territory that way because if they're man for man then there's going to be a few fewer bodies at the back so at least you can try and try and exploit that so yeah I'd, I'd say go down the line personally but it is what it is even you know with with the benefit of hindsight after the pressure that we had been under in that first seven minutes i'd have been happy just to see them go down the line to get the ball out of our territory yeah yeah, like, yeah yeah just get it as far away from our goal as possible because it looks like at that point we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot every single time we try and do something um obviously they score from that it's a tidy finish begovic um i think Earlier this season, I said that Colback was in the running for villain of the year after his kind of like red cards and disappearing act and all that sort of thing. I wouldn't want to slap the word villain on Begovic, but I certainly think he's a character that really divides opinion. Some people don't love the fact that, you know, he's ex-Chelsea. I don't think that helps him. The fact that he, you know, that, appears that occasionally on Sky. People care that much about that, though. I, th- yeah. I think it, people do. People do. I, 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 it doesn't really bother me because he's not. He was a reserve goalkeeper, which is for I me. Just think a lot of the time. Let me look. No, no, no. But like, if you, if someone sort of said like, oh, you know, Jordan Archer, you know, spent a lot of time at QPR. Like he's played up like, one game in about five years. He's not exactly yeah. like. I know he's a he's a part of the team and he's a part of the club and whatever, but it's not like he was a first team player. So whatever, Begovic was at Chelsea. Who doesn't really matter, does it? We've had no, other, you know, Ray, Ray Wilkins is a legend of the club and he is a pretty massive figure down at Chelsea as well. So yeah, it, it can go one of two ways. You can be a Jose Bissinger, you can be a Ray Wilkins. It, you know, it's whatever. But you know, there's the ongoing um like 
Begovic Academy thing as well, which people don't like, that he's got a sideline of of whatever. And I, I, I often see after he's made a mistake on Twitter, you know, the sarcastic, easy comment to go to is, well, you're not going to be teaching that in your academy, are you? Which, you know, oh, always gets a laugh. Um, there's that. There's the fact that he's just not suited to passing out from the back. And even yeah. under Ainsworth, he had really inconsistent performances for someone that you'd imagine is on probably the higher end of the wage scale at the club. Um, people will say blocking a pathway for a, a, another player. I didn't necessarily agree with that. I don't know, but like he's a he's a divisive character, isn't he, Begovic? Um, yeah, I mean, admittedly, I didn't know that it was that deep until you've explained it all then. I just think, I think, I don't personally pay attention to any, if he played for Chelsea, he played for Chelsea, I couldn't really care. But I'm not, admittedly, working, working, or well, having experience with him working in a club internally, it's completely different to a fan's perspective because fans, fans treat it as like, um, well, I don't know what the phrase is, but it's like, um, yeah, they obviously they get passionate, don't they? So I can, I can see it from that perspective, but I don't think it's that deep. Uh, even with the academy, it's just like it's just a business. He's like he's set. He's thirty eight, isn't he? He's yeah. setting up future like outside of football. Like um, players are allowed to do that. It's part of life. So I just think people need to take those kind of things less seriously. And then I just I think the the playing out from the back is the bigger issue because I think I don't think he does suit the style. Um, he's a good keeper. He saved us in games. He's a good shot stopper, but he does struggle to play out from the back. And when teams press us man for man, and he's the spare man. And we're relying on him either finding a tight pass or a, a long ball that needs to clip certain player. He can't really do that. So I think in that aspect, there can be criticism. But I also think there can maybe be so much because Ainsworth recruited for this side, not Sifuentes. And we're not going to change a goalkeeper mid-season that's, like you say, probably on high wages. Um, He's the captain. Yeah, it, 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 it's something we're going to have to stick with till the end of the season when his contract runs out and it can be a reassess. So... There's only so much you can say for it. I think otherwise it becomes a bit of a, um, yeah, just the conversation just goes on and on, really. Yeah. So after that goal, uh, I actually thought that we didn't play, apart from that first like seven minutes, it was a, it was a pretty nothing first half. But if you look to sort of like build on from where we were after you know going one nil down, I think we opened them up pretty quickly after that, and it there is a little bit of like sort of getting a foothold back in the game. And obviously we go in at half time. What's it? Is it? Yeah, both goals in the second half. So we go in at yeah. one nil down at half time. But I didn't think that we were playing horrendously. We played really, really bad for the first seven minutes. But after that, it got. I mean, you can only get better from that point. But we looked threatening and threatening enough with a few changes, hopefully. And then those changes came in the second half. Um, you know, I thought that we weren't awful, like that we weren't out of the game at half time, basically. No, I did see some. Um, I remember in the first half we had two, two big chances from set pieces as well. I think they were both like second phases, but there's one at the back post where Chair whipped in a ball for uh, Hook or Dunn, I want to say, and then there was another one. Um, we had another big chance from might have been Smith or Fry, so. We had chances, you were right. And then, yeah, second half, it kind of, um, I say it opened up. It didn't really open up from their perspective. It was more we opened them up. We we had two pretty good chances as well that were saved um, by, is it Johansson? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah, 
it, they Fry has Fry has a chance, and then Cook had one at the back post. So I was really impressed by the save off Cook's header. That was a really good yeah. uh, save, and he kept he certainly kept a minute up to that point. Um, the one thing I've been, I'd say, fairly uh, pleased with with Marty is, uh, and it's something that we talked about quite a bit when we were appointing Michael Beale with like sort of tactical flexibility and actually being willing to think about it rather than just playing the same thing over and over again. Uh, Ainsworth didn't, certainly couldn't change anything. Um, but uh, Marty, to his credit, in quite a few games has not necessarily ripped up the tactics, but he certainly looked to play players slightly in different roles midway through the game, he's going to make a sub to sort of like try and positively affect situations. In this case, it was bringing Field and Smith on for Hodge and Hayden. I think it's they did Hayden and Hodge didn't have their best 45 minutes for us. I know they've been good so far, but they didn't play well uh, against Rotherham. I didn't think they were particularly brilliant against uh, Stoke either, but no one was on that day. So you no. can't take too much blame for that. But, you know, I don't think you look at the previous managers we've had, they ain't all the way back to Warburton. None of those managers are making those subs at half time, and they were crucial. Smith adds that little bit of impetus, the pace, the energy down the right. He gets his goal, which is a really well taken goal. We'll touch on that in a second. Uh, even if he doesn't uh, get get a goal or assist. I still feel like when he's on the pitch, he positively affects us going forward and adds that little bit of extra dimension that we don't have with a few other players. So, you know, again, are you happy to see him actually sort of thinking on his feet a little bit, him and the coaching team and actually trying to make changes to positively influence games quite early on? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, me, I think I love, I, I basically love that. Um, yeah. I, I think he, he just, he probably sees, I mean, he sees the game in a different way to others, but he, his system's quite fluid anyway. Like we saw at the start of his reign, he can go inverted fullbacks, kind of wide wingers. Um, he can use different strikers, Armstrong, Dykes. He's played Dykes in the 10. Uh, yeah. He, and in the midfields change, I mean, Colback was kind of like as a, an advanced eight, one of the games, he's making like underlapping runs in the box. You've seen him as like a sitter as a six, so uh, he's he's fluid. He knows what he's doing. He's pretty savvy in terms of ta tactically and uh, and how he sees the game. And he, I mean, not every coach is. I mean, Ainsworth certainly wasn't exactly blessed with the tactical acumen that Sifuentes has, but certain coaches can see that. Games. Dan may just be the understatement of the year. You may <laughs> right. be really. I mean, you might be really understanding. Well, I didn't. I didn't finish my point exactly. I was going to say that certain coaches just just have that like that natural nous of just reading games tactically. So there is that advantage. I know it's obvious that Ainsworth isn't that, but some coaches are better, obviously, served in different different kind of departments. So I think with Sifuentes, we've got someone that can kind of read in game situations and kind of can use substitutions to our advantage. I find it maddening though when managers don't change it i know you've got like you've done your research and you've got like a plan in place going into a game but if it's not working it's not working and it's no shame to kind of like admit that that's the case and you don't have to wait to 60 minutes 
I just think there's it it shouldn't be such a big thing. And maybe that it's different at the top level of the game. And if I watch that more closely and sort of looked at it as I would watch a QPR game, then maybe I'd notice a few different things there. But you know, just to sort of change it just a little bit, not just bring on a like for like player. Let's you know, move some players about. Are we going to put, you know, even if you're just moving a player sort of slightly more central, bringing him off his wing, putting another player there, it's it makes a difference. It does, it does, but it also there's also a level of risk. So like, nothing's ever guaranteed to come off in the set. I get what you're saying. I agree with you, but some managers are kind of want to minimize risk as much as possible. If that makes sense with what they do, so there's less of a chance of an outcome being like out of their control. Um, I, I know like obviously as well, football is a difficult game and all that sort of stuff. And like, you know, as a manager, you're always under a little bit of pressure. Oh yeah, scrutiny. There's always scrutiny with every action. But like, you know, if you're already losing or you're not winning, let, you know, do something put to make a change to, you know, if you don't have the players on the bench, whatever, but like, come on, like that yeah, should yeah, be yeah, part yeah. You should be wanting to win games. That that's what oh, no, there, that's there where is it that. gets me. Like, yeah, yeah. I think the only uh, I'm seems to be playing devil devil's advocate a bit here, but the only thing is we don't we're not privy to the information that they have in the sense of a certain player can play thirty minutes. He might only be yes. able to play fifteen, or so that there's there's oh, all being, these like, being very generic that. here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, but you got all these. You got their game plan. You got all the little bits of information they got. They got to keep an eye on. So like. There is a lot more to it than just like throwing a player on and going for a game, but I do get what you're saying. It's, yeah, it's just it's it's not. Uh, I think when when Marty does it, it's not he's not just throwing like a player on for the oh, sake no, of it. No, he's no. clearly thought about it, and there's a yeah, process yeah. behind it. But I just think that like you know you've got to have those processes, and ultimately, if you look at someone like Mark Warburton, it's probably what in the end would have costed him, you know, and maybe the side that that, that step up into the playoffs was. Get, making sure that we had another way of winning, you know. When when we, I mean, we we were unlucky with injuries at the time, but it was always plan like the the old what was it he said? Plan B is to do plan A better. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, you know that is that is like the other end of the spectrum, and and you know there's different ways of kind of doing of saying it, and you know Mark Warburton only had one tactical view because he wanted it to be like that. I feel like Gareth Ainsworth only had one tactical view because that's all he could do. Like, I, I think you felt like Warburton could have done better and he could have, you know, if he'd thought about it a bit more, but, you know, is what it is. We we scored some goals in the end, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's a lovely, you know, Willock is a, has been an enigma. No, not enigma. Enigma, is that the right word? I don't know. Mystery, that. He's, mystery, a bit, yeah. yes, he's a mystery. He's been a mystery this season. Uh, that is an enigma. That's an enigma. Basically. Yeah. Okay. I was right. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's been shown flashes of what he could do. At other points, he's looked like he's still a little bit injured, holding something back. Other times, he's not been selected at all, you know, which is very strange. But he had a brilliant second half here. Obviously, scoring the second goal, setting up the first. It's a lovely pass through to Smith and a brilliant finish. Um, beating a keeper that had been really strong all day. And, it, you know, it was going to have to take a, something quite tidy, quite nice to actually get past him. And that's what it was in the end from 
from the wee man. Yeah, no, I mean both both goals kind of had that element of of individual quality. Obviously, Willett with the first kind of dragging three players out, and then um, Smith does well to kind of time that run, time his run rather, um, and it's a good finish. And then the uh, the second one, Chair does the uh, does what Willett did for the first, and kind of takes a couple of players out, um, threads it through, and then finds Willett with time and space to to yeah, to, uh, it was a good striker, like you say. So yeah, two moments of quality that kind of mattered in the game, and. Uh, yeah, then we go on to get the three points. This will be something that is for Marty in the future, hopefully, and it's not by any means a criticism. But whilst we've improved, I think, defensively under him, we haven't necessarily been able to sort of like unlock the attacking potential of the side. Now you can debate how much attacking potential we have and whether it all comes from a select few of play- two players. Um but I don't. We haven't sort of like been scoring goals for fun yet, have we? Under him, so you know that that's kind of like, but that that's just sort of like needs must in the situation. Um, so you know, not a criticism, but you know, going forward, it'll be interesting to see how he kind of unlocks that a bit more. Yeah, because yeah, you're, you're say, the thing that I'm thinking about there is that you're saying two individual moments of quality, and it's nice to have that, but it just kind of to be a little bit offensive we need to be scoring simple goals if you know what i mean getting like uh, the get, basics yeah, right I, I get what you're saying i mean i'm trying to cast my mind back to some of the goals you scored um i think i mean the the one at bristol city was it was a team goal but it was kind of chairs finish was good um yeah i mean some of them have been good finishes in fairness, some of them have been well worked. I, I get what you're saying. I haven't seen the kind of underlying data, so I don't know exactly how how well consistently we're creating these chances and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess on the flip side, if we're pretty defensively sound, we're keeping keeping goals out, keeping chances out, then it kind of doesn't take much for us to win games. So we've at least we've got that foundation. Whereas if we are conceding goals on a more regular basis, I'd be slightly more concerned because then you'd have to rely a lot more on individual quality than than what we'd maybe doing in terms of collective. Yeah. Um I sent this into the group chat the other day. The championship chat podcast put a tweet out the other day saying no team in the bottom half of the championship table has won more points in twenty twenty four than QPR thus far. Marty Sefuentes' side have won fourteen points from their first nine matches this calendar year. So that's a really impressive turnaround for us. Um, so, you know, by no means are we critical of of Marty. He's doing a brilliant job. He's doing a job we kind of hoped he would be. There's just those little moments where, you know, we've let ourselves down and I think they, they know that, you know, the Stoke game, Sheffield Wednesday, I think Plymouth as well. Those are the opportunities to get out of the bottom three. We finally managed to do that, get over that mental hurdle as Marty has been sort of calling it this week. How important do you reckon it is going forward that, you know, because we, we've got top of the league this week and I think, you know, other teams have got difficult fixtures. But as we saw with last weekend, that means absolutely naff all because Millwall could turn up and beat Southampton, the pricks, you know? Um, I was just written there. Neil Harris on his return, 20% possession. They score a set piece and a, pen, a corner and a penalty. That was just, yeah, that's, yeah, I don't know. It couldn't get any more like cliche than that, but yeah. Yeah, that I don't know. Results. We're gonna. I'd say re- relying on results would be nice as well as our form. But 
which doesn't seem to happen with QPR, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a cliche, but we've got to focus on ourselves. That's all we can do at the minute, mm. take a game at a time. Each game is going to be different. Uh, you've got Leicester that are going to be high possession, pretty dominant. Well, you've got a few of them teams coming out of West Brom, um, Middlesbrough, Sunderland, and then you've it kind clears of up a little bit after that, doesn't yeah. it? We've got three then, or four games against teams in and around us, and they're going to be. I mean, you know, every game is massive, but they are going to be really big. But they will mean nothing prefer. if over the next couple of games you don't get something. You know, yeah, because the form will drop then slightly, and then the, yeah. there's then it becomes a bit more important. So we've got we've somewhat got to maintain a level of form, whether that be through performances or results, preferably preferably results at this this stage of the season. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's just a matter of, we're going to have to control what we can control. And if teams drop points around us, then brilliant. But at the minute, it doesn't really seem like that's the case because Huddersfield every week seem to be matching our results, um, or bettering them. You've got Millwall that won on the weekend and then, um, it's only really Stoke, I think, that have had a real yeah, drop. Stoke Even like Sheffield Stone. Wednesday, yeah. Sheffield Wednesday have picked up like three wins in the last four. So it's not... I mean, I was having a discussion with my brother the other day and there's a the pack between Sheffield Wednesday and I think it's Plymouth in 15th. There's only about eight points between that and then between us and them, it's five. So it could be it could end up with anything at this rate. Who knows, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, Stoke had a long read article get put out about them this week about how poorly they're doing this season and how they've gone from... A position of strength at one point. I don't know when that position of strength was. Maybe that was, maybe that was... On, on paper. They had quite a good. I I could understand the hype around their their yeah. window in the summer because they brought in some players with pedigree from Europe, but they haven't really seemed to adapt it to the league apart from one or two. Um, but it, what the point I'm trying to make about that is that it's nice that we're not getting those long reads about us because when those start. You know, when when journalists yeah, are getting sort of enough quotes to do a big old article about you, a couple of thousand words or whatever, yeah, we we had two of those this season yeah. on the Athletic, um, and I, yeah, I want to yeah, say exactly. the Times as well or something like that. So you know, they've got a way to catch up with us, but you know, it's nice that we're not getting that sort of treatment anymore, and it's a, a team elsewhere. No, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, although, yeah. Yeah, it only takes a couple of results to go badly for us, and we're we're, we're back in yeah. there. So we can't. I mean, we can't. We've got Leicester, hand. obviously. Well, at the time of recording, it's tomorrow. Um, a, a game that you still have to get something from. But if there's ever going to be like a just a free hit game, then this will be it. Probably. I think they played pretty much their reserves in the cup in the week. But regardless, they went through after extra time. So that's minutes in the legs. Hope you know. I'm sure they'll be delighted with getting through to the quarterfinals of the cup. So hopefully they had a big piss up after that and they're all still hung over. Um, but I was on a po- podcast with a couple of Leicester fans yesterday and they seem to be a little bit nervous about it. Looking at our form, they feel like this game is a potential banana skin. Um, I'll, I'll give you what I think is going to happen, Dan. You can very quickly say whether you think that would be the case, but I think compare this game to the game that we played against them last time. If anything, the Ainsworth style of play where you just sit back and absorb yeah. really suited that game. Yeah, because you don't expect to win. 
you don't expect to get anything from it when you're one when you're one all with Leicester and then they score a screamer to win the game. It doesn't feel so bad, you know, because of yeah. the way that he talked about us being the underdog and stuff like that. And we knew we were the underdog, but you know, like we weren't trying to necessarily we didn't play that badly that game. No, it I've... wasn't. We, we didn't play that's badly. That's the only game I've. That's apart from the cup game against Norwich. That's the only one I've been able to attend this season. And uh, yeah, no, it was a it wasn't a bad performance. Obviously. Ainsworth got sacked the, the evening I mean, after the game. Gone. He was gone for about three weeks before that anyway. But judging yeah, yeah. Things. But um, going into this game, I, I kind of see it being a little bit more open. So I, what I'm trying to say do is you? don't be... I, I Yeah, well, I think there's potential for more mistakes from us. So I wouldn't um, be surprised if there's more goals around this time conceded. You know, playing at their place, they're going to be more... Uh, you know, they're gonna have a lot of the ball anyway, but they're gonna be more sort of like on the front foot with it and be keen to score goals. And I think with the way that we're passing out from the back at the moment, whether they keep, I, I don't know, yeah, they're gonna there keep that going. Yeah, there's that and the weakness from set pieces. If a couple of goals go in, I wouldn't be shocked. So, you know, yeah, that's how I see I think, it going. Yeah, I think there's that side, I, I do agree on that, but even though Ainsworth's style was probably set better. We statistically and to the eye, we are a lot better out of possession under Sefuentes. So I'd have more faith in being defensively solid against them. But then, yeah, I, it it really dep- I haven't I haven't seen too much of Leicester to be honest with you this season. I know they lost to Leeds in uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I don't think they're particularly high scorers. That's the thing. I think if they do score quite they're a few, up and they're like top scorers in the league. They're, no, but they're like I think they're consistently around. Yeah, they've got two one. They've 70, 70 goals, so they're they're high. They're the highest in the league. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then they yeah they got the second best defense in the league. So yeah, they're not bad. Um, and like they've got they've got bundles of depth as well. That's the issue. I mean, Ian Acho could have a bad game and then bring on Tom Cannon, who they spent six million on, or Jamie Vardy, or uh, yeah, whoever else they got in there. Their rank, so they're not they're not short of quality, but it just depends on kind of state of the game. I think if we get into half time and we're kind of level, then we've got a chance. But I think if we go behind, I think it just it just could get worse because realistically they'll probably bring on a Dakar or a Vardy or someone's running behind constantly when we're trying to push push for the game and it's kind of game over at that point. So yeah, it could be it could, we could surprise them, but I'm kind of just like. I'll take anything. I mean, I'm expecting a a loss, but anything above that would be would be a positive. And we will leave it there with that sort of kind of I'll well, say realistic. I just don't think we could be going into this game expecting no. a, a win or a draw. I just don't think they're top of the league for a reason. Yeah, three thousand and one. Queensland yeah, Rangers fans good. will be at oh, Leicester yeah. though, and I expect them all to be in fine voice. The cheer on the team so you know the the away following is fantastic we're going to wrap it up here we've got less than a minute left on this zoom call so to very quickly say i know last if you listen to the podcast regularly uh last time out we said we we're going to be going to sort of like a every other week um with podcasts that turns out to kind of not be the case and to be honest we're finding it harder and harder to get at least two of us together each week to uh talk about qpr at this point so i can't promise anything we cannot promise anything at all in terms of how frequent we will be from now to the end of the season so i would just say if you listen regularly anytime it pops up in your podcast feed listen to it hopefully try and enjoy it and uh we'll try and produce the best for you so thank you very much for listening and until next time come on you ours.